Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Africa Football Showdown. I'm Daniel Dazi in London, and I'm joined by Mimi Fawaz in Abidjan and a very special guest, the happy Jabu Ntua, uh, who's joining us from Johannesburg. How are you doing, guys? Hey, Daniel. Good to be joining you from Abidjan. It's good to have you. It's good to have you guys. Coming up in this episode, Bafana Bafana are back as Jabu would want me to emphasize on. It was a night of insane drama in Yamoussoukro. Has the sporting success on the pitch mirrored the financial success for CAF at this AFCON? And we get into a sticky story, looking at allegations made about Cameroonian legend Samuel Eto'o. That's all coming up in the Africa Football Showdown. Can we talk to you? Now let's begin by looking back, because as we say back at home, if you don't know where you're coming from, you don't know where you're going. That's a big of African wisdom to begin the show with. The biggest shock in the final round of 16 game is where we begin. South Africa 2, Morocco 0. Morocco was the last of the North African powerhouses out of the tournament. Jabu, you host the Africa Business of Sports podcast. We're going to get into the money bit a little bit. But um, first and foremost, as a proud South African, take me through how it felt like watching that game. Daniel, it was torture. Well, that's up until we scored the first goal because we are very much not used to South Africa scoring in the first half. So games do get a bit edgy. But once Evidence Mahopa did put in that goal for 1-0 just before the hour mark, our nerves definitely went down. It was just all about defending. At the later point when we got a free kick and Debojo Mokwena sealed the deal for us, uh, that was when we were really sure that we're going through. But other than that, very difficult game for us. It could have went a very different way if uh, Hakimi scored that penalty and, you know, good for us, he missed. So it was a really difficult game for us. But it was all built on our defense, I would say. And this is going to be the main fundamental bit of our success going forward. It's the defense. We have three clean sheets now. We've picked up in our group games and now in uh, this past game against Morocco. Uh, many people might know that uh, eight Sundowns players started the game and that gives us a huge advantage just given the experience they have in continental football and playing in hostile atmospheres. So they're definitely going to be very important in our success. But until that 1-0 went in and then finally the 2-0 in the 95th minute of extra time that's when we're really sure that we're going through honestly my best part was the celebration by the way that sue <laughs> celebration was was awesome look let's listen to south africa's coach fugo bruce and then we'll wrap up on this part of the conversation we needed some time to to make a team i uh, got a lot of critics in south africa at a certain moment because of the choices i made but i knew what i was doing i know the results have to follow and even with local players now, you see they play on that high level. Uh, when they have the confidence, they can do it. And this is very important for the South African football. So, let's go on. Let's go on, Hugo. Bruce says, Jabu, tell me, before the <laughs> tournament, um, I know that very few people probably outside of South Africa saw a result like this happening against a team like Morocco. But... What kind of expectation or what kind of criticism did Hugo Bruce go through locally? Quite a lot because he's made quite a lot of brave decisions. Many people know it's pretty well documented how he's put so much faith 
in local players. And that's something that Lucas Ratebe uh, today on, on The Athletic spoke about in his piece that this faith that Hugo Bruce is showing in domestic players, while you may think that's a good thing and the South African public will absolutely love that, but it really does seem that the foreign players or the players who play abroad are not so supported. I mean, there's so many great players that I feel should have made the squad for the AFCON. I mean, there's Bongogutle Longwane, who plays for Minnesota United in the MLS. I think he's has been one of the best players in the MLS over the past year. You've got Njabulo Blom, who plays for St. Louis City. There's Lebohang Matiba, who plays for Strasbourg in Ligue 1. So the faith that Bruce has showed in the domestic players, I think, has put him in hot waters. But I suppose now it's being vindicated because these performances that are being put out by players who are playing in the PSL, which is not one of the best leagues in the world, is pretty incredible to see. I, I interviewed Percy Tao when he was in Brighton. And he hmm. told me that it would be good for the South African national team if there were more players in the domestic league playing overseas. That was his mm. argument. So it's funny to see how the flip side to that argument. You know, so many coaches have been criticized in this tournament. Ghana's coach, Egypt's coach. I was talking to Mohamed Kosba about how, you know, a national team is not the preserve of a certain group of players. It looks like Hugo Bruce got it right. So this is not the first time that Hugo Bruce has ex you know, experienced, I guess you could say, domestically criticism for his choices of who he picks. If we remember back in 2017, he was coaching Cameroon back then. And as well, you know, it was by his tactics and the players that he was picking. And nobody really expected him to win, Cameroon to win against Egypt, who were in the finals. That was in Gabon. I was in the stadium. But he did. He won AFCON with Cameroon when people were pitting Egypt as a favorites in that final. So I think it's somebody that's used to a lot of that pressure outside. But at the end of the day, he comes across somebody to me that blocks all that out and just really focuses on what he feels is the right decision. Well, it was definitely the right decision against Morocco there. But a dramatic win by the hosts, um, Cote d'Ivoire against Senegal, Mimi. That was quite a match. <laughs> it was quite a match. I mean, the the stadium was packed of there were. I mean, there were of course Senegalese fans, and you could hear them as well. The drums, the singing, and the dancing. But my goodness, the Ivorian fans really made their presence felt. The stadium was packed. It was a sea of orange everywhere. I looked left, right, and front behind me, and I feel that um, Ivory Coast just got better and better as the game went on. And I have to say, Emers Faye, the interim coach for Ivory Coast, really did a good job because in the second half, they brought in Nicolas Pepe that led to that foul that then on him, which then got Francesi taking and leveling the score against Senegal. And then the same Francesi, who, you know, who came in the second half and was really dominant in the midfield, also got that winning penalty. Um, and then Seko Fofana was everywhere on the pitch. You really felt the battle and them wanting to restore that pride after the humiliating 4-0 defeat at home in front of their fans. And you could just see that as as it went on and on, the fans were really getting them, um, motivating them to get the results that they got. Jabu, we've thrown all of our predictions out of the window. I think it was um, a bit of national loyalty that made Peter <laughs> and Mimi keep Nigeria there. Did you see it happening, the way the tournament has blown wide open like this? I mean... Many people are dubbing this as 
the most successful, most exciting AFCON that we've ever had. And the last eight of the AFCON 2021 have been completely replaced by eight different teams for this current AFCON that we're in right now. So I think that not only shows just how exciting African football is, but the development that it's had over the past couple of years that you're having these big teams supposedly being beaten by smaller nations. And I think that just goes to show that the gap between the bigger nations and the the more smaller nations within African football is definitely being more narrow. So I think that only makes it a good thing for African football that we've got more competitive games and also got different winners. I mean, we don't want to see the same winners all the time. So I would like a part of me was actually a bit uh, happy with the big boys going out very soon because I think it just makes it more interesting for us watching. Definitely. I mean, I tweeted that I'm not making any more predictions in this tournament. So I'm glad I'm hosting because I'll make you guys predict the rest. I will just... You can't get away that easily. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, I know know maybe you'll try and make me do something. Yeah, you won't get away that easily. (laughs) Though we picked the favorites are out. I did put a caveat saying I still had hope for Nigeria to go far, even though they weren't one of the favorites coming into the competition. You know, I think it's just a tournament of surprises. It really is the tournament of the underdogs and it's been beautiful to see the quality of football and how much better it's gotten in Africa between the top teams and the teams that we traditionally have called minnows, who I don't think we can call minnows anymore. All the teams that are here this far in the competition, all of them stand a chance to go all Mm. the way to the final. It's all about who is the best on the day and just as Ivory Coast demonstrated the other day against Senegal that on their day, they can be a very, very good team. And again, anything can happen. African football is becoming way more competitive than it usually was. So you can't really make predictions about this AFCON. I've tried. I <laughs> actually thought Ghana would win and I thought Kudus would just transcend football and become this new African star. But I was so wrong. So I only can't make any predictions anymore. Really. <laughs> Bro, you don't get me started. But it's, it's okay. I've, I've done enough on this podcast <laughs> as far as Ghana is <laughs> But yeah, hey, um, maybe there are future tournaments in play for Kudus, but it's also a time for introspection. Anyway, you are listening to the Africa Football Showdown. We're also available on YouTube if you want to see our faces. Mimi is looking lovely, and I, as usual, not so well, not so much. Oh, stop it. But, <laughs> but it's worth the watch, definitely. All right, let's get into some other conversations in this episode. It's been a wildly exciting Afghan. Goals galore, shocks galore. Quality up and down from some of the smallest nations. Now, Cape Verde still going strong. Guinea, Equatorial Guinea gave us a good show, but they had to leave. Mauritania also had a huge tournament. Now, Ijabu, you host, like I've been saying, the Africa Business of Sports podcast. You were concentrating ahead of the tournament on the business side. What are the numbers like? How has CAF done? CAF has done really well, uh, to be honest with you. And this is in the context of many problems happening within CAF over the past six months. Many may remember that CAF unilaterally decided to cancel their contract with Be In Sport, which is one of their biggest broadcast partners. And that did put into some sort of um, 
issue whether the sponsors going into CAF would get the visibility and the exposure that they needed. So it was very interesting to see that BN has now come in, you know, they've kissed and made up, luckily for all of us, but also we had an issue with Supersport, them not being able to purchase the rights for AFCON, and that left lots of questions around whether South Africans would be able to watch the AFCON whether all the different territories that Supersports actually broadcast games to would be able to also participate in this great continental festival, which I think it is. So while we did have, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some numbers, but we do have some great performances happening commercially. There were some little challenges when it comes to broadcasting and also, more importantly, the entry of New World TV, which definitely did cause a disruption in the broadcast rights. In terms of the numbers, Hassan Al-Kamal, who uh, we've spoken to on our podcast, put out some great stats around the performance that CAF has uh, made in terms of the AFCON so far. And we've seen that 17 sponsors are committed to this AFCON. That is 50% more than the edition in 2021. They have 10 x their revenue, so this is definitely the most successful and most commercially viable AFCON that has taken place. And that also has been demonstrated through the 40% increase in competition prize money. So making it much more worthwhile for whoever wins the AFCON to be able to celebrate. So we have seen some steps being made to make AFCON more commercially viable, more self-sustaining, more money on the table, which is made possible by the sponsors, obviously. But I think CAF's commercial team really deserve huge, huge kudos for what they've done so far for this tournament. I'm going to say this, Mimi. This is one of the most widely circulated AFCONs that I have observed in terms of attention that it's been getting here in the UK, in America. Mm. I know that you've been doing some reports on CBS and what have you. What's been your observation? Yeah, I, I think it really started as well from the last Africa Cup of Nations I did see that there were a lot of, if you could say, media um, around the world that were starting to cover it. And then it's grown since then. It's doubled in terms of the broadcasters that have jumped on board. I think it's 170. And sponsors, I think it was like seven last time. It's 17 this time, I think, Kaf said. So it's just shown you how African football is just growing. And you can't ignore African football because there's so many African players that are playing in the top leagues across Europe and beyond. So that's why all these eyeballs now are focusing on the competition. And it's where you see as well the next set of stars emerging from it. And the quality of football has really been good in this Africa Cup of Nations. I am personally so relieved, Jabu, that with all the attention that we got, we got some good shows to give the world. Because, you know, <laughs> in the past, AFCON has been a very cagey tournament, few goals. But now we are seeing, what, four goal bangers, two goal bangers. Like... Look, it's it's a feast for the eyes, really. Yeah, absolutely. 2.2 goals per match on average, which is much more than the previous AFCON. What also helps, and I think not many people are actually emphasizing this point, is the atmosphere, at least when I'm watching from TV, the atmosphere within the stadiums, and I'm sure Mimi can attest to this more, has been absolutely amazing. I think stadiums always seem to be packed, bar some games, dead rubbers, where fans didn't really show up. We've had over 20,000 people go to games on average, and the total attendance so far for AFCON has been over 600,000. So it's not only the quality of football that's increased on the pitch, but I think the fans have really, really showed up. And Ivory Coast 
are definitely showing how hostile an atmosphere they can create in their stadiums. <laughs> definitely creates a hostile atmosphere. I think it was a Me. party atmosphere, actually. <laughs> it was, it was a, well, a lot of singing if, and dancing, you are, definitely when they won. If you are not an Ivorian on the <laughs> yeah. pitch, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't yeah, sound there was, like there a was, party there was booing. <laughs> there was booing when Senegal was taking yeah. penalties, but that happens. I've yeah. heard that. In- now, Jabo, perhaps the most important thing will be the legacy from this in terms of, you know, the commercial end of the game. Um, the Super League, money from Saudi Arabia coming through. What, how should we capitalize on the success of the AFCON? I mean, first of all, this has a lot to do with the domestic leagues improving. And, you know, that is a great thing for us. But looking forward, we all know that the first edition of the African Football League took place last year in October, November. And the second edition, which is going to be expanded to 24 teams starting later this year, is going to begin. And I think this goes to show it's a test case for a bigger tournament that CAF is able to host, is able to drive that commercial revenue, bring in sponsors. It goes to show that I think they're using this AFCON as a sort of test drive of how they are going to approach the African Football League. Because same number of teams, although it's not going to be a club tournament, um, I mean, AFCON is not a club tournament, obviously, but it's the same number of teams. There's going to be lots of travel, different countries participating through the national uh, clubs. It's going to be very interesting to see how it can be capitalized upon. But most of these sponsorships are going to end in 2025. So many partnerships um, that have been agreed for this AFCON are due to end in 2025. So it's all going to be about how they can extend those agreements and possibly bring on new partners, not only for the next AFCON, but looking at the AFL, which is going to begin later this year. We can't wait at all. You're still listening to um, the latest episode of the Africa Football Showdown. My name is Daniel Daze here in London. Mimi Fawaz is in Abidjan. Jabum Tua is in Johannesburg. And it, it's, we are getting to my favorite parts now because I'm going to make you guys say who will win what. Um, it's not a comfortable position to be in. Jabu, I'll start with you. Um, you know the game I'm going to give you. Cape Verde, South Africa. I've always like Cape Verde. I've always had a soft spot for them. I've, you know, with their style of football that they play, they always seem to be very exciting to watch. So it's definitely going to be a big challenge for us, especially because we make our success off clean sheets and having a strong defense. Cape Verde have been absolutely incredible in their attack this AFCON. I think they've always been. I don't know. It's a tough one. Once again, South Africa, hopefully we come through with another clean sheet, which I think this is going to be the main thing going forward because I trust South Africa to go into extra time and possibly go into penalties. So it's all going to be about um, taming that that uh, Cape Verde attack and trying to make most of our chances. So I'll come to you next, Mimi. You know the game I'm bringing you. Nigeria versus Angola. Admittedly, it's probably Angola's biggest challenge in this tournament, but they also have... Quite the goal banger in Dala. Yeah, I mean, Nigeria good defensively. As we know, both nations have faced each other before. They're not they're, they're not new to international competitions. Um, Angola score goals. They score an average two to three goals per game. And Jelson Dala, as we know, is right behind Emilio Nsue, um, who's a top scorer at the moment with five goals. He's on four goals, Jelson Dala. So it's going to be an interesting one. But 
I'm going to have to say, I'm going to pit Nigeria slightly, a bit of an edge over them if they can really keep the, of course I will, keep the Angolan attack <laughs> silent. Jabu, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you'll be the neutral in this one. Um, Nigeria, are we going to see another surprise with Angola coming out on top? Or Osimen and the rest of the team's quality is going to see them through? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, Nigeria have done a great job of being clinical in their attack. I think they've got one of the best, if not the best defense um, at the back with Ajayi and Ekong. It's a really great defense. They've got Osimen obviously up front who I think is probably the best player at this AFCON. So there's a lot of pressure on him. Uh, Osiman to really show the quality that is shown in Serie A and the Champions League over the past couple of years. So I would think that Nigeria will very easily go through here. But I mean, you never know. Angola have the sense of a surprise in them. They've got over five players from Petro de Luanda, which is the big, the biggest club in Angola. And I think that familiarity has really helped them gel together and the cohesion is there to show. So while I think Angola really has a, a decent chance at it, I would I would be very surprised if Nigeria doesn't go through very easily here. Mm. Another team that really has brought the magic in this tournament is Ivory Coast. Um, Mimi, MS Faye, will his magic still work against Mali? I know Mali was one of our, our dark horses in, in, yeah, in the I... beginning of the tournament. I don't know about your dark horse, but they definitely were mine. I remember saying they were my, <laughs> they were my dark horse. Um, I think this is a match that's going to be won in the midfield for sure because Mali are very strong in the midfield, but I don't feel they're as strong going forward in attack. Sinayonko, yes, he scores the goals, but I don't think they've got the same attacking force going up front than they do being very strong in midfield. Um, I think Ivory Coast, are, they've got nothing to lose now. I mean, they they got their pride back um, after that home heavy home loss 4-0 and defeating the, the, the champions, the current champions, Senegal, is definitely going to boost anybody's confidence. And like Frank Kessie has said after that win, they need the Ivorian people to keep supporting them and keep believing them and then they can go all the way. I don't think they have any problem with getting supports from the Ivorian people, do you, Jabu? No, not at all. I think it just goes to show from the atmosphere, as I mentioned, that they've produced there. But one interesting thing about Ivory Coast that I met, that I saw from the last game is how strong their bench is. I mean, in the last game against Senegal, off the bench went Kessie. He came on the game. Pepe was also substituted on. Halle, who's a great player, playing for Dortmund, came on as well. And Adingra, who plays for Brighton, fascinating player, also came on to have a huge impact. So while I may see this game being very cagey, Mali are really good on defense. They beat South Africa 2-0 in the opening game. I do think if we do get to a stage where a deadlock is there, Ivory Coast will definitely have the players on the bench to go in and impact the game. I just want to say that if I ever have a have a, a, a child, I'm sending them straight to that Asek Mimosa Academy because I don't know what goes on there. I don't know what goes on there, man. They, they definitely know how to produce the very best from the days of Solomon Kalu right up through to now. Anyway, um, I'm going to leave you guys to decide between GRC and Guinea. I feel like these are two teams that we have not paid a lot of attention to over the course of the tournament. I picked Equatorial Guinea to beat Guinea in that round of 16. 
and no one expected DRC to be in the quarterfinals after they were pitched against Egypt. And they've done it without winning a game. DRC have a great chance. Uh, they've also got really good players. Once again, I think most of teams have great players. I didn't know that Grady Diangana, who plays for West Brom, was actually from DRC. He's a great player and he came on to score a penalty in the shootout. I think this one is a toss of a coin, really. Um, the toss of a coin. I'll go with DRC's just about DRC. DRC, like they've been having mostly draws um, in their games, but when it came down to penalties, they were just getting those penalties. And and if and if it was to come down to penalties again, I will. I would probably put my money on them after after them knocking out Egypt. So DRC are the slight the slight favorites in this one. Okay. So, Jabo, I don't know if we'll have you before the tournament ends, so I'll zoom you straight to the final. Pick two teams for me. Maybe we'll beat us in the semi-final. I don't know if, if we even get to that point, but Nigeria, I think, would get to the final. And Ivory Coast. Nigeria and Ivory Coast, I think, would be the dream final for many, especially the commercial sponsors, because just a very small bit on this, when you have the smaller teams progressing and the bigger boys being knocked out, it's not so great on the TV numbers and commercially. So I think the best final that everyone is going to be looking for in terms of quality and uh, you know, the football heritage in those, in those countries, it would be Nigeria and Ivory Coast. I think that's the final. Peter reminded me a couple of episodes back, the last time Nigeria won this tournament, they beat Ivory Coast. And this time it happened as well in the group stage. So, hey, you never know. At this point, we have to rely on Malam goals. That's what we say in Ghana. <laughs> to that spiritual goals to make sure that it works. Um, okay, so uh, at this point, you have to let Mimi go. Uh, Mimi, thanks for joining us today. Enjoy Sunny Abidjan. I will. Thank you very much. Now, Jabu, before I let you go, a disturbing story was published by The Athletic about Samuel Eto'o, the great striker, and Cameroon FA, that's Fekafoot's president. Accusations against Eto'o include match-fixing, abuse of power, even making life threats, with a special focus on a match between his football academy and Kumba City FC. This case has triggered, oh sorry, this case has triggered investigations by both FIFA and the Confederation of African Football CAF. The plot thickens with evidence, including WhatsApp messages, emails, voice recordings, all pointing towards alleged misconduct by Eto. Adding to the drama, a former vice president of the Cameroon Football Association, Henry Njala Kwan Jr., has come forward with these accusations, providing a comprehensive file to FIFA's ethics committee. What should we make of this? I mean... It's really hard to speak about this because Samuel Eto'o in the eyes of many Africans is, you know, possibly one of our greatest players to come out of this continent and to hear and read the reporting by Adam Leventhal and The Athletic from this article that you're referencing right now. It's really disturbing to hear. I think also it just makes a dark cloud come over what has been a storied career for Eto'o. It is very... Interesting to see how he's going to defend himself to come out of this. But really, what really pulled me to the story was a couple of months ago, no, a, month, a year ago during the World Cup, when he was uh, alleged to uh, knee a supporter and pursue some violence against a supporter, which was really difficult to understand how a president of a football association would do that. And then Going a step further, when he was announced as a brand ambassador for One X Bet, which is also 
a global partner of CAF, that was really hard to understand as well, given his role with Cameroon and how would it make sense that he's also now the brand ambassador. There's clearly a conflict of interest there. So I must say, in a time where African football administration has really suffered from corruption, um, we thought the likes of Eto would come in with a new dawn, a new sense of leadership that would come through for African football. But clearly these stories and these allegations which are being leveled against Eto doesn't sort of demonstrate the progress that's been made on the administrative side of African football. I think the trickiest part is the role of um, Injala, the, the vice president um, of Fekafoot, who sort of puts these allegations forward. That's what sort of adds weight. That, that's what catches my eye in, in this entire thing, because this is someone who has worked closely with Eto and will definitely know what he's talking about. But FIFA is investigating and we will know more soon, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting also what uh, Njala, uh, the, his role in this as well, in that this is someone who's clearly been working with Eto for a very long time. Clearly their relationship now has deteriorated after these allegations have went through. So... I mean, once again, we have made so much progress when it comes to the administration of African football. CAF, for the longest of times, was known as a corrupt uh, organization under the leadership of Ahmed Ahmed. So now seeing that a legend of African football and now a new administrator who has come in is now being alleged to have committed so many of these uh, indiscretions, including match fixing and more of the inciting of violence that is alleged to happen as well it really doesn't shine a good light on african football especially during the tournament the fact that yeah. the story has come out during the tournament I, I don't think that really does any of us good in terms of the growth of african football definitely i, I feel like the faster it's dealt with the better but hey thank you very much everyone for joining us for another exciting episode of the africa football showdown my name is daniel Dade. I was joined by Mimi Fawaz and Jabum Tua. Uh, special shout-outs to Peter Okoche, who's our big boy, who cannot be with us today. Peter, we miss you. Please come back quickly. That's it for now. Catch you on our next episode where we will be looking at the results of some quarterfinal games. Jesse, Jesse, you don't feel that bad. You don't feel that bad. You don't feel that bad.